All right, so Exodus, uh, Exodus, <laughs> Revelation <laughs> chapter 21. And uh, like I was sharing, you know, in Pastor Bob's television program, the recording that we made, um, the book of Revelation is in pretty good order. <laughs> you, just, you can figure out the timing of events just by following the book of Revelation. Here's the church age. Then here's the believers in heaven. Church is not mentioned from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19. Why? Because we're in heaven observing. There forever with the Lord. During that period of time is the tribulation on the earth. The end of the tribulation, the Lord second coming, the sun descends, battle of Armageddon, defeat of all the powers of darkness. Then comes the reign of the Messiah, thousand year millennial reign. At the end of that, the great white throne judgment, all of the dead are removed, all the living are uh, forever with the Lord, and then new heaven and new earth. It's just right there in the book. All right, so these are, these are important chapters because God wants us to know about something that is beyond, almost beyond our capability to fully conceive. As we get into some of the material, um, as we talk about the city, as we talk about the things that are there, uh, we're going to see a, a reality that that is doesn't fit within the physical limitations that we have grown up to know in this earth. And so, I titled this uh, this lesson tonight "All New," because that's really what it's going to be about. And we're going to get through. Verse 1. How's that? <laughs> Maybe. No. We will. All right. So, as we come to chapter 21, uh, I brought out here in the opening that this is the end of measured time. God doesn't live in time, He lives outside of time. He is eternal, He's timeless. And so, when he created man, as he was preparing to create man, created the heavens and the earth, all of that was for us, he began using measured time for us. Because we live within measured time. And some people are not so sure, but they live on their own time. But anyway... Um, you know some of those people. But uh, the, the thing is God broke things down for us so that we could understand some of these things. And so though God sees all things at all time and lives everywhere. I mean, God is alive in every part of history. He's just as much alive in thousand years in the past as he is ten thousand years in the future he's he's just there and our minds just cannot conceive of that kind of reality yet it is but then when we come to the creation 
God used time. And so we see here at the end of chapter 20, the end of measured time. And what we're going to begin to enter into is just what we call eternal existence. Now, we are eternal from the time we were born again. We have received eternal life or everlasting life since we didn't have eternal past. But we, we enter into an eternal life, a life that is not subject to time, not subject to the things. That is within our spirit. But our bodies, eh, not so much. We are subject to time, as many in this room understand. Time. And we, you know, we live by days. There's months and years, things that add to us, decades. We can hardly understand how we got to where we are because it seems like, well, just yesterday, and then you realize, no, that was in 2019. <laughs> well, I thought it was just a month ago. But time is significant to us. So from the time of the creation, God used days, the first day. Now, I know there's a whole lot of theological argument. People say, well, it wasn't actual days. Well, God says it was. And so the other parts of the Bible say it was, seven days. And so if that's what the Bible says, then what? Okay, I'm going to go with that. All right, so a day. Uh, the creation was measured in days. Then, then God created these great lights. The sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night, the stars. Uh, all three of them, the sun, the moon, and the stars, helping to measure seasons and times as the earth was in its rotation and the different things within the solar system and within the universe all working together. So we have people... Uh, I. I saw a note, I didn't look at the picture, um, some of the new pictures coming from Hubble Telescope, or not Hubble now, it's called uh, James Webb. Webb, James Webb. And so they are now looking through this Webb Telescope at galaxies that are billions of light years away. It's like, what? <laughs> so... But God created that light to be existent at that time. We can say it's a billion light years, but what does that mean to us? Nothing. It's just words because we can't conceive of a light year, let alone a billion of them. So, but the stars are there. God put them there, not created them and finally their light reached us no he put the light from them to the earth right there it was when he created the star the light was here so all of these all these incredible things that god did and then we come to the fall and from the time of the fall god then begins to measure years for mankind now we don't really know how much time Adam was, was 
alive before Cain and Abel were born or what year the fall took place. But we do know from Genesis chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, we know that Adam was 130 years old, it says, when Seth was born. He was 130 years old when Seth was born. So nothing about Cain, nothing about Abel, except that they were born, but no time significance in there. But then God begins to measure time moving forward from Adam and his creation up to the time of the flood. Then from the time of the flood and on, it measures it back to the flood. It's so... Uh, we have these years that God has given us and the significance of all these. God used days and months and years to sig signify certain events and appointments that God had set for mankind. The Sabbath day, uh, the, the moon, the new moon, the, the moons that control the, the, the calendar year for the Israelites, the years like the year of jubilee and so god established certain things using time but for god it was insignificant because to him he lived in eternity but we come to this chapter and things are different just different because as we're going to see, I'm not going to get way ahead of myself here, but we're going to see there's, there's, no, there's no sun and there's no moon. How do we measure time if there's no sun? And it was, what do we, what do we, how, how do we measure time? We don't. Because we are in what? Eternity. And so those are things that don't matter. So... Looking at Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we have this passage about a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, that's what exists now, and the first earth, what exists now, had passed away. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 through 13, brings up this same situation, though he condenses a number of things. Second Peter 3:11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, all the <laughs> the earth and the planets and the universe as we see it today what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness we know that there's going to be an end so what are we going to do about it party no <laughs> no we're going to get busy what are we going to do waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of god hastening the coming there's a way that we can move the coming forward that's what it means to hasten, to move it forward. I want you to consider that. What, what can we do to move the coming forward? Now, the coming he's speaking of here, of course, is the second coming, the day of the Lord. 
but seven years before that is the rapture. So we're moving those things forward. What, what can we do? Live a life godless and holiness. And why are we doing this? Because of which the heavens, this coming the day of the Lord, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Literally unravel. Word that's used there. They'll just unravel. Like a sweater, you pulled the one thread, you thought it was just a little knit, and then you pull it out and the whole sweater just opens up. Right? It's just dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. That's pretty incredible. The sun, the moon, will melt. But the sun's hot enough already, isn't it? But it's going to melt as it burns. King James says melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there is this coming new heaven and new earth. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Speaking of Abraham, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation to designer and builder is God. Every city on this earth has been built by man. Abraham knew. How did he know? God somehow revealed it to him that there was a city that he was building and that one day he would be there. Later on, as it says, Abraham was gathered to his people, gathered to his people, that is the people who had gone before he went to be where they were. Where is that in this place? He saw himself as a pilgrim, one who just traveled. I, I, I'm in this land, but I don't belong to this land. I'm here, I'm dwelling here, I may be working here, I'm doing what I can, but I am, I don't belong here. This land is not my home. How many times have we talked about that? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. So we are waiting, and from it, it says, we await a Savior. Again, it was something I was reading uh, just today that um, there was a time when you taught, churches taught a lot on heaven. And then people said, well, you know, we're, we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, and so they stopped teaching on heaven. Now you can't get people interested in it. They may there may be a handful of people that you know that are interested but look at the church in general the body of Christ even just here in the United States just think of the churches all over this nation most of them have no interest at all in heaven and much of this generation as I've talked with some of the young people within our church much of this young generation they don't want to hear about it 
They don't want to hear about heaven. They don't want to hear about the coming of the Lord. They don't want to hear about those things because they got they got plans for this life, and I, I can't blame them. I had plans for my life too, you know. And the, it's like I'm I'm interested in what's here, and our our society and culture has so filled up with self gratification that heaven is not about God gratifying you. Did you know that? It's about God gratifying himself, bringing you to be with him. That's what it's about. It's not me just gratifying all my needs, that in heaven I'm going to have all the stuff that I couldn't have down here. Well, I don't know, but when I look at this new heaven, new earth, I, I'm not sure that there's you know, any, uh, any gasoline to run my car on. So, you know, and my stuff, stuff won't matter. Because we don't really belong here. He's going to transform our body of lowliness, a body created to live in this creation, to be conformed to the same image as his to be made like his glorious image. We're going to be made to be like him so that we can live in eternity. Because this body right now is not geared for eternity. But I'm going to have one that is. And it's going to be like his. And so he's going to do that. How? By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Say, ah, how can God do that? By the power that he has had to subject everything to himself. Everything includes all physic, physical limitations, all physical issues, everything about architecture, everything about science, everything about uh, building and life and health and all this. God subjects all of that to his ability to create. So, when we talk about this new heaven, new earth, what's the first thing that we see? <laughs> the words, I saw. I saw. So, John here is relating what he sees, which doesn't really even more or less exist yet. He's seeing something that is going to be in the future. For him, we're, we're 2,000 years, almost, almost 2,000 years from the Apostle John, and it still hasn't come. But it's going to. So, chapter 21, verse 1, bottom of your page says, Then I saw. Over and over throughout the book of Revelation, we've seen this. I saw, I heard. A just take a, take a yellow crayon or a yellow marker or something and go through one of your Bibles and just mark all the places where it says, I saw or I heard. You would be surprised. Or it was showed to me or he said. So mark all those places because there's reality to this. People can say, well, but this is just, you know, this is in the mind. No, he saw these things. He heard these things. And so over and over, but especially in these last chapters. 
So let's take a look at this. Go to the next page. I saw, starting in chapter 19 through chapter 22, I saw. Now, I'm not going to go through all these verses, but you can look at this and see (laughs) that he saw a lot. There is thing after thing, and I just put the one verse where the word I saw is, or if it needed another verse connected to it, I put that in. I saw, I saw, I saw. And especially when we start in these last chapters, this is over and over. Why did God give him that little word to put in there? In Greek, it's one word. I saw. Why did did God tell him to write that word? Because God wants us to know that it's real. It's real. He saw it. He didn't say, I realized, or I thought, or I conceived, or I I imagined. (laughs) No. I saw these things. I saw. And so here John is seeing things that are for the future, as he has been since chapter 4, seeing things about the future that are as real as could be seen with a physical eye. Not imagined, not seen with the mind's eye, but real, touchable. Look at the bottom one, chapter 22, <laughs> verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Well, it's like, <laughs> how many think you would like to meet John when he steps off the boat, finally gets off Patmos and digs his boat and gets back to Ephesus and beat John and he he sent this letterhead and you've read it and you say, you know, John, that's, that's pretty crazy stuff. Are you, are you sure about this? I heard. I saw. Don't tell me what I didn't hear and what I didn't see. These things are real. Okay, bottom of the page. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the significance of that is is light, but it is real. A new, a new heaven and a new earth. It didn't say the new heaven and the new earth. As if they already were there and God just revealed them to him. No, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not something that's been redone. It's not something that's been renovated. It's, they're not the same ones that exist presently. A new heaven, a new earth, not the earth renewed. Doesn't say that. The heavens restored, the heavens renovated. No, not the earth remade. It's a new heaven and a new earth. 
Why is that significant? <laughs> because the first are gone. Now, I don't know if there was a space of time when there was no heaven and no earth before he saw the new heaven and the new earth. But it seems to indicate that there was. Because how does he say it? For the first heaven and the first earth had already passed away. They'd already gone. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But this new heaven and new earth is a new class. Go to the top of your page three. New. All together different. That's the idea of this word. That it's altogether different. It's not what it was. It's not what was restored, remade, renovated. It's new. It's a new heaven. Isaiah says the same thing. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So it's, there's two things. There's the former things and they're gone. And what's here is new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah says that also in Isaiah 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. Again, new heavens, new earth, not the same ones, not restored, not remade, new. Now, one of the things, and I bring this up here in this section in between, is that these passages are really fitting into a millennial time, right? So the verses that follow and surround uh, both this passage, Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, are speaking about the millennium because he goes on and he talks about cities and, and Israel being restored and different things that God is going to do. But, but here's the, the reality. When the prophets saw things, they saw things like, you see mountain peaks. And it, you can't determine the distance between them, especially if you're looking through a, telegraph, a telescope. I got telegraph. Um, I've got some pictures. I, I, I like to do them in black and white. I was going to bring the one in tonight and show you, but I didn't. But um, these mountain peaks. And they're all stacked up, but you got no idea what the distance is between them. And because I wanted to, to condense that space, I used a telephoto lens. You can use a wide-angle lens, and you see more about how the distance is. But when you use a telescopic lens, it, it brings everything closer together. So you can't tell how far it is and some of the peaks are bigger than others there's small ones and big ones and another one and another smaller one and a bigger one and maybe a biggest one is at the back and that might draw your attention first and so when the prophets sometimes when they looked at things into the future it was the 
big thing that hit their eye first, and they write about that, and then they fill in about the other peaks that are in between. And you can see this over and over in Old Testament prophecy, where time and again, as the prophets are writing, they say something, but when you look at the track of how those things are going to take place, some of the things that are in front of those happen first. Why? Because they're in front of them. But it was the bigger thing that got your attention. So the prophets, speaking of Jesus, Isaiah 66, it's 61, sorry, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And the prophets looked down through time and he, he saw this. And as God gave him revelation, he saw the anointing of God resting upon the Messiah. And he saw that he would be anointed. And he would go about doing good and healing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so he, he saw that. And then he wrote about the things that would take place. But he also wrote about the judgment. And Jesus in Nazareth stopped at that verse, but Isaiah doesn't stop there. And he goes on and talks about the judgment that's going to come. And so, uh, as you follow those passages, there was judgment following. Luke chapter 4. Daniel chapter 12, in a sense, does the same thing. He puts the righteous and the wicked together in a verse, condenses what's in there, and brings it all together. One of the famous verses that we are all familiar with, Joel chapter 2. And God said what? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. But then at the very end of that, and he says, and the sun will be darkened and the moon turned to blood, da-da-da-da-da. And you think, wow, that's all going to happen, right? No. No. Because that last thing is going to happen after the first thing. And that there's a separation between those two. Just like Israel did not see the separation between the first and the second coming of the Messiah. They couldn't see the valley in between. And sometimes they talk about the second coming as the most important thing. Other times they talk about the birth. But the majority of time, there's only a few verses about the birth, the first coming of the Lord. There's a lot of verses about the second coming of the Lord. Why? Because that's the peak that drew their attention. That was the thing that stood out. So when we look at these verses, a new heaven, a new earth, we're actually seeing something that Isaiah saw that drew his attention. But there's something that comes before it. And that's called the thousand-year reign of the Messiah, which he goes into in detail in in the rest of those chapters. So over and over you see this. Sometimes the order is reversed. You can look at those, those passages. And then we see sometimes all of it just blended together. It's like it's all going to happen at the same time. Well, no, it's not. It's not all going to happen at the same time. 
there is space in between. How do we know there's space in between? Because we've lived there. <laughs> that's, that's the church age. They didn't see the church age. In a sense, we're down in the valley. Down in the valley. valley so. Yep. so we're we're somewhere between these two peaks, the first coming and the second coming. And the second coming is the one that they got so much attention on, and they they saw the birth, they saw his first coming, they saw this, but they thought that was all going to fit together, but it doesn't fit together. There's a couple days' journey in between. Well, those couple days turn into 2,000 years. But how many think we're getting pretty close to that? <laughs> we're getting pretty close to that peak. In fact, I'd say we're on our way up. And we're already climbing the slopes of that peak. So, again, Peter brings all this together. Look at verse 13 again. Uh, no, I wanted to look at verse 10. Uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What's the day of the Lord? Second coming. Not the rapture, it's second coming. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Uh, wait a minute. No, there's something in between. There's something in between the second coming and all the earth passing away. What's in between? A thousand year reign. Ah, oh, it's just a thousand years. No big deal. <laughs> There's a thousand years between those words. The heavens pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies burned up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. All of that's going to happen at the end of the millennium, but Peter says, eh, it's all going to happen at one time. No, there's a space in between. I saying all of this because when he says, I see a new heaven, a new earth, John's not the only one that mentioned this. Isaiah talked about it. Peter talked about it. These realities are there. Some of the other prophets wrote things about this, but they don't use the words new heaven and new earth. And they talk about this, this glorious reality of living in the presence of God. You think, oh, that's, that's the millennium. No, it's not the millennium. Because there's going to be a day when there's no wickedness at all around them. Everything has changed. So, you kind of have to go back and look at a lot of Old Testament prophecy and find these passages. And again, they don't all line up in a chronological way. You've got to know your Bible. One of the things, again, that uh, Pastor Bob and I talked about in, in our interview was dispensations. You've got to understand the dispensations of God that God moves in different ways in different periods of time. And he has made these periods so that everything progresses toward his end. He was even explaining it as almost like steps. It's like one block. You're here, and then you step up to this, and step up to this, and step up to this, until the final, final step is into the new heaven and the new earth. And this glorious reality of a dispensation. <laughs> it's kind of hard to say that about the new heaven and the earth because it's something that never comes to an end. 
so it doesn't have a measured time. Okay, one of the other points, down to the bottom of your page three. It says, a new heaven and a new earth. In this day to come, there will no longer be three heavens. Now, right now, there's three heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere where the birds fly, the air around us. The second heaven is the universe, where all the stars and the planets and everything that's out there. And the more we look with these incredible uh, inventions of man, the more we see things. You know, people first saw, it's like, wow, Saturn actually has these rings around it. It's not that my eyes were blurry. There's actual, there's actual rings around this planet. And, and then they were able to see, well, it's not just rings there. It's like there's stripes in them and there's stripes on the planet of Jupiter and there's big eye that circulates like a massive hurricane. I forget how many times the size of Earth that just circles on the planet Jupiter. You got a telescope, you can see that. But then they invented better telescopes. And I began to see you know, some of those things that you think are just little points of light. That's an entire galaxy. Bigger than our Milky Way. <laughs> what? How can, it, how can that be? It's just, no, it's just a star. No, it's not just a star. And then we invented telescopes that would find the black spaces in between. That's what they call a deep space. And so they would look at the black spaces in between the stars and magnify those and find out, wow, there's constellations or there's entire universes and galaxies out there. And then they find another black space and look into that. And it's amazing what they can see. I mean, you've just been amazed looking at the, these pictures, the galaxies. Some of those are stars you can't even see. But they're out there. So, that's all going to pass away. Why? Because we're not going to need this, this atmosphere. We won't need it. We're living in the reality of eternity. Atmosphere. Because the atmosphere, though it's beneficial to us, is limiting. We're, we're trapped here on the earth. Unless we put on spacesuits and you know, try to live in some artificial existence outside of this. We can't. But in eternity, we're not trapped on the earth. There's nothing about clouds, nothing about rain. We're gonna see in a minute, nothing about something that many people love, the sea. So what is, what's going on? There's all of these things. And so the third heaven though is the abode of God. And that's what's going to come the abode of God. Now, when people die today, they go into the presence of God. But it's a, for lack of a better term, I've used this before, it's a waiting room for eternal heaven and earth. It's, it's the waiting room. And the waiting room is pretty glorious. Because if you've talked to anybody who's had a death experience and come back or listen to any of their testimonies it's it's a pretty glorious place 
But that's just temporary. Because no one is yet in the new heaven and the new earth because they have not been presented yet. I won't use the word created because they seem to be in existence. It's just that God has not revealed them. And so no one is there. And, you know, people say, well, I walked on streets of gold. Well, then there's some of those in paradise because that's where people go right now. When they die, they go to the third heaven, which is paradise, but they don't go to the new heaven because there's no one there yet, just like there's no one in eternal hell yet. But there will be. And so this glorious place is the, is the abode of God. It's the place where he lives in glorious light and splendor. But he can step into paradise. Why? Because he's timeless and he's everywhere present. And God can step into our life here on earth. People have had experiences where they feel like God was present. Ever been in one of those? Where it's not just the Holy Spirit's present. It's like God is here. And I don't want to turn around because I'm afraid I'll see what I'm not supposed to see. Right? This glorious light of God. I had an experience, I've, I've used this before, where I was grumbling, um, and, and God, you know, heard me. And, um, and then I heard this voice, and it was behind me, and it said, are you through yet? And I knew it wasn't Jan, <laughs> or my dad. It was Jesus, and he said, are you through yet? And I wanted to say no, because there's a bunch of other stuff I'd like to say, but yeah, I'm done. <laughs> you know, when Jesus asks you a rhetorical question, are you through yet, what's your answer? Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Um, the, uh, it, it, but it was so real. I, I felt if I'd turned around, I would have seen him, but I wasn't going to. So, God's presence can be that, that real, but that's not the eternal new heaven and new earth that we're going to have. It's God steps into our place, but look at what's going to happen in this. This is the glorious realm of God. Revelation 21 and verse 3, which we'll get to probably in a month, no, a couple weeks he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. It's, it's not God coming down to visit us. It's us being in his glorious dwelling the dwelling place of God is with man. And so this new heaven, the glorious abode of God is going to come down, in a sense, or be revealed to us. And we will be there with him. How did Jesus say it? John 14 and verse 3. That where I am, 
you may be also. He didn't say that where you are, I might be. Jesus isn't coming to live with us. He's coming to take us to live with him. So that we will be with him. Ephesians chapter 4, it says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. The Greek word fill means to totally consume, to fill up so that there's nothing left. We've talked about earlier in our, in our teachings, we've talked about the different realms of death, that, that man lives on this plane. In a sense, there's a, there's a place called Sheol, or in the Greek, Hades, which is the grave. And below that, then there's a, a place called Tartarus, the prison house. Then below that is a place called Abusos, or the abyss. And then there's a dividing because under that is the lake of fire. And I speak under in a like what's what's where I'm looking for? Me, metaphor. Yeah. So metaphorically. So I'm I'm just it's not really under, but we look at it that way. But then going upward, there is we leave this life, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We are there, but that's not the dwelling place of God with man. He's there. He's there in reality, but there's more beyond it. That's the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus descended. He came from far above, and he descended how far? All the way below to the abyss. That's what it says. He descended into the abyss that he might fill all things. That in his resurrection, as he ascended, he showed his authority, his power over every realm that is. He has consumed all things. Right? So he's filled everything. And in this new heaven, that is to come, there's no mention of things that we are so familiar with. Planets, stars, galaxies. There's no mention of them in chapters 21-22. There's no mention in prophet, prophetic passages in the Old Testament that refer to this period of time. If they exist, they're new. If there's going to be planets, they're not the planets that are here now. Why? Because, as we're going to see here in just a minute, the first heaven and the first earth have gone what? Gone away. Passed away. So, anything that is there is going to be new. The earth. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Not a remade, not a restored, and not a renewed earth it is new brand new fresh one of the commentators i read said god must create a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away so if they're gone he has to make a new one and he will bring this about the greek word used here is kainos k-a-i-n-o-s which means new as an original 
it's not a derivation. That's the important point about this word. It's not a derivation. It didn't derive from what's existing. So the new heaven isn't some derivation, some offshoot or outgrowth of the heaven that is here now. No, it's new. And the word that is used is used, look at this, used for all these things that we follow here. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. How many have read the passage, the Amplified says, a species that never existed before? We're a new creation. Your spirit man isn't just reconfigured. It's new. Old passed away. New has come. And so my, my spirit man, the, the recreation that God put in me, totally removed what was there and created a new person inside of me. It's called the new man or the new self, the Greek word anthropos, better translated as person, not just man, but man and woman, humanity. It's the word that's used for a new heart. God's going to take out our old heart and give us a new heart. He mentions that in the Old Testament prophets, and Paul quotes that in the book of Hebrews, that he has given us a new heart. It's not my heart just fixed up. It's new. And Jesus also said, a new commandment I give you. You can read through all the commandments in the Old Testament, 613 commandments in the law. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new one. This is, this is one that hasn't been before. And so this commandment of love, and it's mentioned in John 13, 1 John chapter 2, and 2 John chapter 1. A new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, if you do that, you're really taking care of everything that was in the law. But it's a new commandment. And so this was the thing that God wants to stress a new heaven and a new earth. Again, why? Because what does it say? The first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. The Greek phrase used here for passed away means gone. Not found. They're not to be found. They are gone. Now, other places, we say that they're going to be dissolved. We saw that they're going to be unraveled that the things of this earth and the things of the world, even the, the sun and the, the stars and all those things are going to be unraveled and they are going to melt and burn and so that they will not be found. Revelation 20, verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away. The Greek word means they just, they fled, they're gone. Because they cannot exist in his presence. They are not to be found. And no place was found for them. So those things are gone. Not just changed. That's, that's the thing I want you to understand. They're not just changed. Why? Because this new heaven and new earth is not subject to the physical limitations in which this world is created. So this world is created to 
abide in certain principles. If we didn't have the atmosphere we have, we wouldn't be able to breathe. We, we need the atmosphere to contain the oxygen and those things. We need the oceans to provide the, the oxygen that we need and the water and the, the rains that fall. We need the oceans. We need the polar caps. We need the magnetic uh, poles that exist. And they, they are exactly aligned the way God wants them to be. And we need the moon to be in the exact position that it's in so that this earth doesn't fly off into some other orbit around the sun and become elliptical in way cold at one time of the year and way hot at another time of the year. Say, we're kind of going through that. No, we're not. But see how we need all of that for everything to be right. But that's all going to be gone. Because we're going to have a new heaven that's not like what we see now. And a new earth that is not subject to the physical principles, astronomical principles that we see uh, in the earth today. But here's the part that gets everybody, and there's no more sea. How many beach people do I have here? Now, I like the mountains, but how many like the beach? Come on, come on, you're the beach people. Now, you can go to Hawaii and have the mountains and the beach. Right, so that's, that's a good thing. But... Um, no more sea. What does this mean? Well, I, these, are, these are different ideas from some of the commentaries that I picked up. Different ideas. One guy said, it says sea, not oceans. All right. Uh, let's just get into, let's get into semantics. So the Mediterranean Sea will be gone, but the Atlantic Ocean will remain. What, there's going to be some huge dam that's going to keep it from... What about the Caribbean Ocean? Or the South China Sea? Yeah. See, the problem is not semantic. Point number two, the sea was a great barrier. John was on Patmos. Between him and Ephesus and the mainland was this sea that he could not cross and the sea at that time was filled with terror it's shark week by the way so just this just filled exactly where i needed it to fall um, filled with terror that separated people and separated man from god some people see the sea as being representative of civil and social unrest and rebellion and there are passages in the bible where that kind of of idea is promoted. Um, it's kind of a, the word I, I borrowed from them is seething humanity at its worst. That the sea is full of this trouble, and and that's like the sea of mankind. And you see that in other places, uh, the source of earthly rebellion, chaos, and danger. Um, it's the sea from which the beast emerged. So the sea was in in. A lot of New Testament thought, or Old Testament thought, I mean, um, the sea was not a good thing because it was scary. And this source of rebellion will no longer be a threat to creation, so there is no more sea. Uh, number, number four down here, 
Uh, in contrast with the present earth, which is most of its surface covered by water, no large body of water will be on the new earth. There will be rivers and lakes and springs. And you can read all those verses uh, are just some of the verses that talk about there's going to be rivers and there's going to be water, but no more seas. But I like this last one that says all life on earth is dependent on water for its survival. But believers' glorified bodies will not require water. You say, yeah, but there's a river of life. It's a river of what? Life. Yeah. And the, the quote, water that is in it is life itself. Unlike our present human water, uh, human bodies, our blood is 90% water. The new heaven, new earth will be based on a completely different life principle. There will be rivers in heaven, not of water, but of the water of life. Not living water, it's very specific, the water of life itself. And so this is a new reality that we're going to enter into. You like the beach, I know people like, you know, they want to see water, that's fine. I'm sure that God will make that available. There will be a whole planet called the beach planet. I don't know. You know, there'll be, there'll be, you know, whatever, you know, so, uh, but I like the mountains. So it's, you know, it's, it's different ways that God is just explaining. But here's the point. It's not here. It's not this world. Why? Because this world is so full of trouble, so full of evil, so full of problems, oppression. We're going to a place where it's not like this at all. Amen? Father, we thank you.